I was uh, in Chicago this past week uh, for a reunion with some friends. We had guys coming in from Canada and Wisconsin, people I used to live with. And uh, we got together on New Year's Eve and stayed up late. And we were so busy talking to each other that we almost missed the countdown. We were looking at the clock and we're like, oh, there's five seconds left. We better do something. So New Year's can come upon you and you, you won't catch, catch them going. I don't know if you noticed, but this week we entered not just a new year, but a new decade. And I'm, I'm really still trying to wrap my head around that because for me, like in, in my perspective, the year 2000 just happened. When I, when I think about like 1980 and I'm doing the math in my head, I was never good at math. I, I'm like, oh, that 1980 was 20 years ago. Um, now that's not true. Uh, <laughs> well, in the middle of celebration, I think I, I get a little reflective and thoughtful around this time of the year. Because uh, a new year is, is important. Uh, it's significant. A new year is, is like a new chapter, especially a new decade. 2020 is going to be a whole nother 10 years. That's, how, that's why we divide them up like that. So how many of you all have made New Year's resolutions? So show of hands. How many of you guys have made? A few of you? Yeah? What are some of those? Lose weight. Yeah, I feel that. What else? Some people I know want to read their Bible more. Some people, uh, I, I want to wake up early and uh, be a morning person. I'm never a morning person. I always, that's, it's hard. I always cut it really close as, up until the point where I have to wake up. That's when I wake up. News resolutions, oftentimes the point of them is to make our lives better, right? To live better lives, to be better, do better. Uh, this is a good time for thinking about who you are and where, you're, you, where you've been. Uh, what did you do this past decade? Uh, who have you become these past 10 years? And looking forward, who will you be from 2020 to 2030? Those are important questions, so it's important that we think about how we think about these questions. Well, in the book of Exodus, Israel had much the same questions. Now that we're no longer slaves, who are we going to be? How are we going to be known? What, what's going to make us different as Israel from all the other nations? And you might be thinking, Dominic, I, <laughs> Exodus? I thought we were done with that. I thought <laughs> Brandon preached on Exodus 40 a couple weeks ago. I mean, we're, we're over that, right? But we've all been in Exodus for the past five months. Brandon just preached the last chapter. But I believe strongly that as we enter this new decade, the book of Exodus has a lot to say about these questions, about what we're going to be like, about what our next decade is going to be like, and how we should think through that. So before we leave Exodus for good, I want to spend just one more week in that book. Today we're going to zoom out, and we're going to look at the big picture. We're going to look at God's mission. What has God been doing in Exodus? What was, what was the whole point? And, and what does God's mission mean for you today? To answer these questions, we're going to go through the whole story. Uh, and you're thinking, Dominic, we only have 50 minutes or 30 or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I have lunch plans. We're only going to stop at points along the way. Just a few points. Just the main bits that I think will illustrate 
what we're talking about today. We're going to uncover four truths, four truths about God's mission. So let's, let's start by looking at the beginning. How does Exodus begin? Exodus begins with a genocide. Think about that. Exodus begins with, with Pharaoh. In chapter 1 of Exodus, he says, look, there's so many Israelites, and, and they're, they're growing numerous. There's, there's tons and tons of them, because God has, has been blessing them with fruitfulness and multiplication of children. And Pharaoh says, they become a threat. If, if, if they keep having kids, and if they get, get numerous, and we get invaded and attacked, they might fight against us. They might cause trouble. And so Egypt's reasoning is that the only thing they need to do the only thing they can do is to start taking away these lives. Think about that. It, is that a little messed up to you? It, it might seem like that, but, but actually a lot of us, we, we live our lives like that all the time. People, people who don't have God, people who, who do have God even, our lives are lived looking out for number one, looking out for ourselves. Uh, if, if God is not with us, if we're in this world by ourselves, then of course we look out for ourselves. Who's going to look out for you except for you? And so with that kind of mindset, with that kind of reasoning, killing babies makes sense. For Egypt, this, this, was, this was just practical. But actually there's more at stake in Exodus at the very beginning than babies. There's more at stake even than just the survival of a single nation, because this isn't just any ordinary nation. Although for over 400 years, Israel, the people of Israel, were just slaves. These people carried something very, very, very important. This is what God said to Israel's father, Abraham, about a promise that they carried. Uh, can we get that slide from Genesis? They carried a promise from God and it says this, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, get this, listen to this, in you, in Israel, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And you gotta realize that that's a crazy statement. What is God saying here? All the families, all the nations, the, the, the wicked, oppressive, idolatrous nations that rage against their creators, the, the ones who, who cause injustice in the world, you mean the evil, slave-holding, murderous Egypt, all the nations? Yeah. Actually, God says, yeah, all the nations, even Egypt. Let that sink in. This is the remarkable, astounding truth underlying everything in our series on Exodus. We haven't spent five months in this series just to learn about some events that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. This isn't just some history lesson. Because the book of Exodus is first and foremost about God's mission. And what is that mission? Truth number one. God's mission is to make himself known to all the nations. 
Now, you've been around for the rest of Exodus. This should be at least a little familiar. You've, you've probably heard this before. But today, I want to make sure that we don't miss this crucial point. If you have your Bibles, turn with me now to chapter 9 of Exodus. Chapter 9 of Exodus. Even if you've been with us through the series, you probably know the gist of the story of Exodus. You probably watched the Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt, or you just heard it in your Sunday school classes or, or something. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really popular story. God, he, he saves one baby, and that, that baby raises uh, up to become Moses, and God, he calls him with a burning bush, and, and it's through that one guy, it's through that one guy that, that God saves a whole people. He, he calls Egypt to let his people go, and he sends these plagues down on them, and eventually the people of Israel, they go free. It's a familiar story. A lot of us get this, but what we don't get, sorry, this one's running away, what we don't get is that this is not necessarily the only way things could have gone. God didn't have to, to, to do it this way. He didn't have to call up Moses. He didn't have to use Israel. He didn't have to do the plagues. The story could have been very different. God could have one night just gone over to the Egyptians, sprinkled some sleeping pot, ambient, I don't know, and then put them all to sleep. And then told Israel to get out of Dodge, run away, move as fast as you can, and, and it would have worked. Israel would have been freed, and it would have been miraculous, and they would have said, wow, God's amazing, and, and they would have known who God is. Why, why wouldn't that have been enough? God's mission is not only concerned with Israel. No, no, God's mission is to make himself known to all the nations, even Egypt. And so even in freeing Israel, it's not just about Israel. God has another purpose in mind. And so it's, that, it's with that in mind that we're looking at chapter 9. This is the, the plague of hail, where God, he's going to go into a lot of detail about his purpose, that all the nations may know who he is. Uh, I'm going to start reading from chapter 9, verse 13, if you want to follow along with me. It says this, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. And why? Why is God doing it this way? Why is God doing the plagues? It says right here, so that you may know Egypt, you may know, Pharaoh, you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. There's no one like God. Verse 15, for by now, I, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. I could have done that. Like we said, God could have done something entirely different. Why bother with the plagues? God could have wiped out the Egyptians. And you know what? He would have had every right to do so. He would have been justified. He could have just destroyed them. Think about what they've done. This is an evil nation, but God didn't. And thank goodness. Why didn't he? Verse 16. Verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you, Egypt, you, Pharaoh, up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God has a much bigger plan in mind than just Israel. 
a much bigger plan in mind even than just Egypt. He's, he's got the whole world, all the nations in his mind. In other words, all of this, Moses, the plagues, even Pharaoh's power. Think about that. Even, even the power that God gave Pharaoh to, to rise up, to be the king of Egypt, to, to oppress the Israelites, to murder them, to enslave them, even that power, all of it, was for God's purposes. God doesn't just free Israel for Israel's sake, but for Egypt's as well. God wants Egypt to know who he is. He wants to be known by the nations. This is not just some side plan. This is actually the whole point. So in just the act of being freed from slavery, God has used Israel to make himself known to another nation. And now, now that Israel's free, now that Israel's gone and out of slavery, God's actually going to keep using Israel for his mission. Turn with me now to chapter 19. Chapter 19. <laughs> Up till this point, Israel's been on the sidelines, watching, watching, while, while God accomplishes his mission. God's, God's on the field. Israel doesn't have to do anything. They're not even going to get put into play. But here in chapter 19, where God makes his covenant with Israel, is his, his relationship, is his deal, we see a dramatic shift. A dramatic shift. Next slide. Imagine that you are stuck in a burning building. You're in a burning building, and suddenly, suddenly you, you have no idea where to go, and suddenly a hand grabs yours, and you don't even know where it's going. There's so much smoke you can't see, and it pulls you out, and, and you, you cross over where they tell you to, and they get you through doorways, and eventually you're somehow out on the sidewalk, and, and you're trying to catch your breath, put a blanket over you, and, and after a few minutes, your rescuer turns to you and says, look, I know you're resting, but there's more people in there, and we need your help to get them out. Can you help us? Here in chapter 19, that's what's happening with Israel. They, they have just been saved out of slavery. They have just been rescued from the fire. And now God is asking Israel if they'll help him save others. Not from slavery to Egypt, but from slavery to sin. Here God declares that Israel has been saved not just out of slavery, but into his mission. Not just out of slavery, but into his mission. Because the whole reason God has saved Israel is because they have a special part to play. Remember, these people, they have the promise. So truth two, God saves Israel to take part in his mission. In verse five of chapter 19, it says this, uh, and I have that up on the screen for you in case you don't have your Bible. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We see here that God, he gives Israel three new identities, three new titles, new, new roles. Let's unpack these three. Let's, let's find out what's going on here. Identity number one, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God's saying, look, all the earth is mine. All the nations are mine. There's not a single hair 
on someone's head that goes there without me knowing, without my permission. Every nation, Iran, Egypt, America, they're all because of me, all because I allow them to exist. But you, among all the nations, you are a treasured possession. It's like when you're your kid, they have, they have a bunch of toys, right? But there's that one toy that's theirs, that's, that's, that's special, that they won't ever share with the other kids, that, that they bring with them everywhere. That, that's their treasured possession. For me, it was a blanket growing up, a little blanket, and I would just carry it everywhere. You, Israel, you're going to be God's treasured possession. You're going to be uniquely chosen. Why? To bear the promise. To play a special role in the mission. And that role is explained in verse 6 in the second new identity. Identity number two, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Uh, another way to say that is a priestly kingdom. In other words, the whole nation of Israel, the, the entire nation, is going to be like a priest to the other nations. Uh, think about how weird that would be. If, like, if you imagine all the nations on the global stage, we got Canada, we got US, we got Mexico, and, and one nation, like Colombia or something, Colombia is the pastor for all the other nations. Think about that. That's, that's what God's saying to Israel. He's saying, you guys are going to be like a priest to the other nations. This is why Exodus actually spends so much time talking about the priests. What are they going to wear? What are they going to do? How are they going to get their jobs? They spend endless chapters talking in, in, in infinite detail about every little thing that they have on them, and, and every action that they precisely have to do. Why? Because here in, in the priests, we get a clue about what Israel's job is going to be. They're going to be mediators. They're going to be priests. What do priests do? They, they, they establish a relationship between man and God. A priest establishes a relationship with man and God. Think about it. What do the priests do? They, they enter into the holy places. Only they can enter into God's presence. And what do they do there? They, they pray for the nation. They lift up the names of, of, of all the children of Israel. They, they literally wear the names of the tribe on, on their clothes so that their whole thing, when God sees them, he would, he would see the whole nation. And they also make sacrifices on behalf of Israel, asking God to forgive them. Their whole job is to maintain this relationship. And so Israel, like the priests, their whole job, God's saying, is to maintain the relationship, to establish the relationship between the other nations and God. Like priests, actually, the only reason that Israel is going to be able to do this is because God sets them apart as holy. And that's why Israel's third new identity, identity number three, is that Israel will be a holy nation. A holy nation. So treasured possession, kingdom of priests, and holy nation. What does it mean to be a holy nation? To be holy is to be set apart for God's use. Israel, among all the nations, will be used by God in a unique way. To better understand what it means for Israel to be a holy nation, we can look at one other holy thing, the, the tabernacle. 
Now, if you've been with us in the series, uh, this last month, Brandon has spent a lot of time focusing specifically on the tabernacle and how it relates to Christmas, actually. The tabernacle is a place where God's presence dwells. And Christmas is all about God's presence coming down to dwell with us in Jesus Christ. So you, if you've been with us, you know the tabernacle is a lot more than just a regular building, a, a place of worship. I heard you guys are moving to a new building in a couple of weeks. Is that right? Hopefully a couple of weeks, maybe three or four, five. <laughs> we'll see. It'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> the tabernacle is more than that. It's a holy place. God's presence, it dwells in there. It's, it's important. It's significant. It, it dwells there in a way that it doesn't in any of the other places on the earth. The tabernacle is God's presence in Israel. And so if Israel is going to be a holy nation in the same way that the tabernacle is a holy place, then God is saying, look, you among all the nations, my presence is going to dwell in you in a special way. You're going to be like a tabernacle for all the other nations. So that when all the other nations meet Israel, when Egypt meets Israel, when Persia meets Israel, when Babylon meets Israel, when, when all these other nations meet Israel, they're going to encounter the God of all creation. This is Israel's special job. Israel's going to be a holy nation. But Israel's only going to be a holy nation if Israel agrees to be holy. Israel's only going to be set apart for special use if Israel agrees to be set apart for that special use. And that's why before giving Israel these new identities, all these three new roles and titles, the first thing we read in verse 5, look up there. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, if Israel is going to be God's representatives to the nations, then what do they need to do? God's saying, you need to represent me. If you want to be my representative, you need to represent me. You need to keep me at the center of your lives. Keep God at the center of their lives. Live in his ways so that when all the other nations look at Israel, they're going to know who Israel's God is. That's important. It's important for us today. We're, we're all called to be holy, to, to, to be different in a way so that when people look at us, they can see, look, we're different. We have a different God. They'll know. They'll know. Look, people who go to the bridge, they're, they're not like other people. They, they have something. They have something. And, and this is why it's actually such a big deal, such, a, such an incredible betrayal when Israel makes a golden calf. Not long after Israel receives the law, they break it. The Ten Commandments, they were pretty clear. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's no ambiguity there. There's no loopholes. The Lord is the one who brought Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so because of that, because God saved Israel, Israel is not supposed to have any other gods. They're not supposed to make a carved image. But that's exactly what they do, right? The people, they go to Aaron, they take all their, their earrings off, they, they ask him, hey, melt these down and make us a golden calf because I don't know where Moses is, I don't know where God is. I, they've been gone for so long, it's just us. We gotta look out for number one. Make a God for us. And once it's made, what, is, what does Aaron say to them? He 
points at the, at the golden calf and he says, these are your gods. This is your God, Israel, who brought you up out of, out of Egypt. This, this golden calf is the one that saved you. What, what is going on? Israel here, they haven't just broken a rule. I think that's something that we miss sometimes when we think about the law, when we think about the Ten Commandments, that we think they're just these rules. Israel hasn't just broken a rule. They haven't just disobeyed the law. In worshiping the golden calf, Israel has actually forgotten who God is. You don't just break rules to break them. You, you break rules because you forget why they're there in the first place. You don't understand the reason or you don't care about the reason. It's not important to you. God brought Israel out of Egypt, not this cow. So now how, how can Israel fulfill their mission to the nations now? How can Israel make God known if they themselves do not know God? If they reject God like all the other nations? That's a good question for us today. How can we make God known if we don't know God? Not only has Israel failed God's mission, Israel is now an enemy of the mission. They're making another God known. And so actually, we come back here at the golden calf, Israel has actually become just like Egypt. They're an enemy of the mission. They're a nation among all the nations that rages against God, that does not know him, that wants nothing to do with him. And so by all rights, Israel should have been destroyed. They should have been wiped out. They're counterproductive. They're working against God. Folks, the, the Bible could have been a lot, lot shorter. It could have ended right here. Your Bible reading plans could have ended at Exodus. That's always the hard place. Everyone uh, has a hard time after Exodus. Why? Why doesn't God destroy Israel? Why doesn't he wipe them out? Because in spite of it all, in spite of Israel's stiff-necked, hard-hearted opposition to God, in spite of the fact that Israel has become God's enemy, God still chooses to use Israel. In fact, when God first made his promise, guess what? When God first chose Israel out of all the nations to serve his mission, God actually knew that this would all happen. Newsflash. God knew that they were sinful. He knew that they would compromise the mission. And yet he chose to use them anyway. I mean, read Genesis sometimes if you, if you have the time. It's, it's just a story of, of a family that's, more messed up than I bet any of your families are. <laughs> really, it's, it's, it's as, as bad as your family is, you, you don't have, like, your dad doesn't have, like, a million wives with a million kids, and they're not killing people, and they're not, well, I don't know, maybe. I, I don't want to assume anything. But <laughs> and so one of the great wonders of Exodus is that instead of a tragic end for Israel, the book, it wraps up just as we read it a couple weeks ago in chapter 40. That, that's, that's one of the miracles of Exodus, is that Brandon was able to preach chapter 40 with the tabernacle being constructed just as planned, with Aaron, Aaron, that, that idol-forging, excuse-making Aaron, that Aaron being ordained to the high priesthood. And with, with God's presence coming down to dwell with an idolatrous nation that wants nothing to do with him. That's the miracle, that everything goes according to plan. Nothing's changed. 
miraculous thing about it all is that at the end of Exodus, despite everything, God's still going to use Israel to accomplish his mission. That's good news, guys. It's good news for us because we are, we are just like Israel. We compromise the mission every day with our sin, but God still uses us. Because even though Israel is incredibly unqualified for this job, it doesn't matter. Hear this. Israel was never going to be the one to get the job done. In fact, Israel was never even able, they were never even capable of fulfilling its mission. They didn't meet the job description. That's, that's why most of Israel can't enter the tabernacle. Think about it. Only the priests can enter the tabernacle, not the rest of Israel. And actually, even, even the priests, they have to make sacrifices. They have to make themselves clean before they can enter the temple, the tabernacle. And then actually, even at the end of the book, as Brandon preached, Moses can't enter the tabernacle. Israel, like all the other nations, is a sinful nation. They have rejected God. But God didn't choose Israel because they were better than the other nations. They were because they were more godly, because they were less sinful. Now he chose Israel in order that through him, truth number three, God himself would fulfill his mission. Ultimately, God himself fulfills his mission in Jesus Christ. And that's that's the secret behind Exodus, is that every single word of that book points forward to Jesus. Jesus, he's the the very presence of God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, a better tabernacle. Jesus, who was tempted in the wilderness, and, and even though he was tempted, did not fall a better Israel. And Jesus, who who speaks on our behalf at the right hand of the Father, who cares for his people, a better high priest. It's, It's of this Jesus that the angels sing about in the book of Revelation, saying in in, in verse 5, chapter 5, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. This is something the Israelites in Exodus could never have imagined. That God himself would come down to Israel as a baby boy, just as we celebrated in Christmas, just just this last month, that God would offer himself in Israel's place as an eternal sacrifice, one that you don't have to keep offering every single week, and that by that sacrifice, by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it would tear the veil, remove the separation between man and God, so that everyone can enter into the presence of God, not just the priests, not just the high priest, everyone. And by his blood, by Christ's blood, what does it say? Ransom. Ransom people for God. Ransom many of the nation of Israel to be a people for God. And actually, not just Israel. What does, what does it continue to say? You ransom people for God. Look at this. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God's people would no longer come from just chosen Israel, but would consist of the people from all the nations. Think of how incredible that is. God chooses from the wicked, oppressive, idolatrous nations. He he chooses us to be his kingdom, his priests to reign on the earth. Don't take that for granted. That God actually chooses from the bad guys to be on his team. 
there, there are, none of us are good guys is what God's saying. None of you guys are on the right side. I want you, though, to be on my side. Israel deserved destruction for turning from God, and yet God gave them undeserved mercy. Let me ask you, how much more do we today in the nations deserve destruction for our constant rebellion? And yet how much greater is that incredible, undeserved, unexpected mercy? It's with this amazing truth in mind that First Peter says this. But you, brothers and sisters, you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Do those words sound familiar? Any of those? God's possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These names once belonged only to Israel. These were the ones that we looked at just today, the three new identities, the three new titles. Those were ones only for the people of God, but guess what? Now you are the people of God. We, all of us, we in this very room, we bear the same titles, and guess what? Just like with Israel, with the same titles, we have the same mission. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, just like with Israel, truth number four, God saves us to take part in his mission. Folks, I worry that Christians today, that we've lost sight of just how, how much God's mission should affect our lives. I worry that we have too small, too narrow of a vision. That our imagination goes only a little bit outside of ourselves before it comes back. Many of us today, we, we live like Christ died so that I could go to heaven. So, and then that's it. And so the, the Christian life, it becomes just about, about me. How can I be more holy? How can I get closer to God? And don't get me wrong, those aren't bad things. We should all be trying to get more holy, to be more close to God. We should all be looking for ways in which we can be, be better. But, but guess what? The, the full picture is much, much, much bigger. God, he doesn't just save Israel out of slavery to Egypt. He saves them into his mission. In the same way, folks, if our faith is in the blood of Christ, we are not just saved from slavery to sin. No, even though we were his enemies, and even though we compromise this mission every day with our sin, we are now part of a mission that is much bigger than us. The mission has not changed. The mission, as it always has been, is to make God known to all the nations. And this mission belongs to all of us, not just missionaries, not just pastors, all of us. God calls all of you to be a part of his mission. He gives you the special job that once only Israel had. And I'm, I'm not only talking about verbally sharing your faith. I'm not only talking about going out in the street and talking to strangers or talking to the people that you know. It's not just about talking. Our whole life actually needs to center on God's mission. Our whole lives. It's not just during a two-week mission trip 
It's not just when we decide how much of our paycheck to give to missionaries. It's, it's not even just in how we interact with non-believers. God's mission needs to shape every single thing in the Christian life. This, this week, we've entered a new year, a new decade. And the question on our mind is, what will I do this year, this decade? How will I be different in the 2020s? That's a great question. And it certainly deserves careful thought. But Bridge, I want you to start to decide, I want you to start this decade by thinking about a different question. Not what will I do this year? Not who will I become this decade? But what is God doing this year? How, how do I see God moving in the world? through the people around me? Where, where is he taking his church this decade? And, and how can I be a part of it? We have to start with what God's doing before we can understand our part in his mission. Ask yourself this, what is God doing in the life of your coworker? And, and why did he put you two on so many shifts and projects together? Maybe you're supposed to speak something into his life. Maybe he needs encouragement. Why did God open up your Friday afternoons this year? Why did he give you that time? What does he want you to do during those hours? Maybe you could babysit someone's kids and lead them to the Lord. Maybe you could look around at your neighbors and see people who are lonely, who really want to spend time with you. How is God growing and shaping your sons and daughters as they get closer to adulthood? How can you surrender your plans for them to God's plans? How can you lay down your hopes for them to make way for what God's doing in their lives? We, we need to ask these kinds of questions constantly about every single thing we do. Every area of our lives has to be surrendered to God's plan. We need to have God's mission in our minds. God did not just save you so you could sit on the sidelines. You are now a part of God's mission, God's mission to make himself known to all the nations. And you know what? God he is overjoyed to see you participating in his mission. Because if we are God's treasured possession, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, then God's mission is ours. Brothers and sisters, in this new decade, I want to ask you, how will you be a part of God's mission? Let's pray. Dear God, I, I thank you so much for this church family here at the bridge. God, and I am excited to see what you have in store for them, where you are taking them, what your mission is for them. God, I pray in this next year, God, that, in, that you would give them a sanctified vision, God, that you would bless them with an imagination that lets them see you, what you are doing that they would not just go into their jobs, into their homes this week, God, thinking as they always do, that they would not buy into what the world wants them to believe about the purpose of life, but that they would see, that they would see your hand working actively in all the things in their lives, and that they would want to be a part of it. God, I pray that you would bless each and every single man and woman here, each and every single boy and girl, that you would bless them, God, that you would show them what you were doing. And God, we ask for the courage to take part in what you're doing, to be part of your mission. And so it's in your son's name that we pray all of this. Amen. 